following message was recorded at River City Church. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Romans 10. And there's uh, one little verse I'm going to read, and then we're going to read the context of the verse. The verse is Romans 10, verse 5, which says this. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. So last month I spoke about the difference between knowing God and knowing about God. And um, as we've seen clearly living in this generation... Man large has grown up knowing about God and yet now appears to be living as if God is absent, as if God is dead. And uh, let's just read this scripture together. This is Romans now 10 verses 1 to 8. And I think we have that. You can put that up. Actually, Stephen, I may have this. Uh... So let's see the context of that verse we just read. And this is actually speaking of brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge, since they do not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. <clears throat> and here's our verse. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. And that is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. So if you remember last month, we said there's a big difference between knowing about someone, <clears throat> excuse me, knowing about someone and knowing someone. And remember we spoke about the little boy who only knew about his father through letters that had been read, but we said that he would swap all that for five minutes speaking to his father, to know his father by being in his presence. So the difference really is personal contact. There's a difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone, and that difference is personal contact. So we can know about someone, but we can't know someone apart from being in the presence of that person. I can know about people who have died many years ago. I can know about Abraham Lincoln and John Kennedy. I mention those two because my father has a house full of books. He's an easy man to get a Christmas present for. Just buy a book about an American president, you know. So I can learn all about those people. But you see, those people are dead. I can know about them, but I can't know them. My own grandfather, my father's father, is now dead. I can know about him, but I can't know him. I only have one memory of him. When I was about two, I was lifted up into his arms, and he kissed me, and I felt the bristles on his chin, and I reacted against it, and that is the only memory I have of him. So I can know about him, but I can never know him, because I cannot be in his presence. So you can know about a dead person, but you can only know a living person. Last week, I took four days out, to go to Lisbon uh, with my two sisters and with my father. 
And in Lisbon, there was so much to see. We only had four days. We could have done this and done that. But my father being 85 and the certain pace of life he's in, we did a lot of sitting. We didn't do a lot of doing. We did a lot of being, a lot of being together. And we saw some beautiful sights. But the joy of the holiday isn't in what we did. It was in being together. After all these years, I still want to be together with my father. Why? Well, the answer may surprise you. Because I want to know him. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> I just don't want to know about him. Now, I know that at some point, I'm going to be sitting in a room with relatives at my father's wake. And some of these relatives will tell me stories about him. And I will hear things about my father perhaps I never knew. And at that moment, I can learn more about him. But in that moment, I would swap all the information about him for five minutes with him. Because you know the difference between knowing about and knowing. And I said all that to make this statement. To only know about God is to know him as if he is dead. And that is the reason why this nation is in such a state. Because too many people have been raised in churches, Catholic and Protestant, to know God as if he is dead. They have been raised to know about God as if he is dead and gone, rather than to know the living God in whose presence we can be today. The God we can know, not just know about. So the joy, really, of that holiday in Lisbon wasn't in what we managed to do, but in being together with my father and my sisters. And I believe God wants us to be just as content as that in his presence. To know the joy that he has, that's been spoken here this morning, about being with us. Because he already knows something that it takes some of us a lifetime to see. He knows this. We know God more, not by doing more for him, but by being more with him. Can you say amen to that? So we're saying that we can't really know someone apart from being in the presence of that person. Yet many of us as Christians, for years, we've been brought up as doers and goers. We have been do-gooders and church-goers. And there's nothing wrong with doing good, and there's nothing wrong with going to church. But as many people under the sound of my voice this morning know, you can do good and you can go to church for year after year after year and still end up desperate for God's presence and feeling like you hardly know him. Three of the apostles relate the story of the rich young ruler who fell at Jesus' feet. You know that story? And he cried out, good teacher, what must I do? to inherit eternal life. Now, we haven't got time to read that this morning, but you'll find that story in Matthew 19, in Mark 10, and in Luke 18. And Jesus chose to answer him in the language he was speaking, in the language of doing. And so he said, okay, here are the commandments. Do this, 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 and this. Do you remember what he said? Honor your father and mother. Keep holy the Sabbath. Don't steal. Don't kill. See, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing and the result was that out of that man's mouth came one of the saddest laments in Scripture and one of the most important if we were to understand the difference between the old covenant and the new. The man cried out, 
but all these commandments I have done since I was a boy. Now, can you hear what he's saying? He's saying, I have done all the doing. I have done good all my life, and I still have no sense of the presence of God, no sense of eternal life. Now, how true is that for tens of thousands of people in this nation today? It was then that Jesus said to him, sell all you have, give the money to the poor, and come and follow me. And all three Gospels say that that man went away very, very sad because he had his identity so wrapped up in doing good that for him to lose his money was to lose his ability to do good, you see? So it was losing his identity. He thought that his ability to do good would get him eternal life. And Jesus was so gently saying to him, no, your doing good is keeping you from eternal life. Because Jesus said in John 17, this is eternal life, to know God and Jesus Christ, Christ whom he has sent. So to know someone, you have to be in their presence. So what Jesus was saying, in effect, to that man was, if you want eternal life, then leave behind everything that's hindering you from simply being with me in my presence. Come follow me is Jesus' way. It's a Hebrew way of simply saying, be with me. Be with me. So with our old covenant, works-oriented heads, we always think of following Jesus about doing. But disciples of Jesus are those who first and foremost have been with Jesus. Do you remember in Mark 3 it says Jesus chose the 12 disciples for two reasons. First, that they might be with him. And only secondly, that they would preach the gospel. And I believe one of the main reasons that I have been ineffectual for years in preaching the gospel is that I, like so many, have got that the wrong way around. We ran off to do without first learning to be in God's presence. Let me say it this way. Without a revelation of our union with Christ, then we now have the presence of God with us. We will always preach the gospel as doing, not being. We will be forever giving people good advice, what they should do next for God, when we are called to give them good news what God has done for them. Good advice only wraps people up in themselves and their doing. But the good news of the gospel sets people free from themselves. You know how? Because it wraps them up in Jesus. What happens when, like that rich young ruler, we have not learned to simply receive the presence of God, to sit and be with God? Well, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all state that man went away overcome with sorrow. And it's quite striking the words they use to describe him. Mark especially, I think it was actually as Luke uses the word uh, perupolis, a Greek word meaning so overcome with sorrow as to cause one's death. And Matthew and Mark use a word similar to that, which means to grieve for someone as if they're dead. That's exactly what it feels like a heaviness born of not being able to be with the one you want to be with. And I've felt that heaviness myself, and I've discerned it in people's lives, and I've felt it over churches. But it was not God who denied that man his presence. I'll say it again. It was not Jesus who denied that man his presence. Christ freely offered that man his presence. He said, come away from your striving and be with me. If Paul had met that man, he would have said to him what he said to the Galatians. 
you estranged yourself from the grace of God, from the presence of God. That man denied himself the presence of God because he wanted to hang on to his old life, the life of making himself holy by obeying the commandments. And it was that sort of man that we were just reading about that Paul spoke of in Romans 10. Can you see the word that's in bold from verse 2? He said this, I can testify about them, men like that. They're zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they do not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. And 2,000 years later, that truth is exactly the same. The more determined you are to make righteousness and holiness about you and your do-gooding, your life, then the less you can recognize and submit to the gift of the presence of God that you are being invited to live in. The more a Christian lives their life from an old covenant mindset that I can make myself righteous enough for God's presence, the blinder they become to the gift of his righteousness, his presence right with them. The result is a sadness over their life, a grief like the one they want to be with appears to them to be far away. And the result is that they're hungry for the presence of God. And if the presence of God is up in the heavens, we have to bring him down. Or if he's down in South America, we'll have to go there and bring him back. Now listen again to the verse. Look behind me. Romans 10, verse 5. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. Question, how do you know if a Christian sees the righteousness as more by the law than by faith in Christ? Answer, that person lives by what they do. The person who does these things will live by them. You will live by what you do. You will judge yourself by what you do, and you will judge everyone else by what they do too. That is how you can tell how much a Christian is thinking from an old covenant mindset rather than a new covenant mindset. Their hope is more set on man's performance than Christ's, and so everywhere they look, they're disappointed. Because rather than see the grace of God at work in people, they see their faults, and seeing so much fault, both in themselves and in the church and in people in general, makes them miserable. Let me put it another way. Believer, if you do not let the gospel renew your mind to the truth, that Christ offers you his presence, offers you his spirit, offers you his righteousness as a gift, because you, apart from God, will never achieve righteousness. If you don't receive that truth and let it take hold of you and let it grow in you, then you will have to live with an old covenant mindset. Like that rich, which means self-dependent, young religious man, you will have to continue to think of yourself as apart from God and impure rather than pure in Christ. And that thinking will cause you to see fault everywhere, especially in yourself. Because as the Apostle Paul said to Titus 2,000 years ago, to the, to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. That's Titus 1 and verse 15. So to New Covenant believers throughout the New Testament, one warning is given again and again. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware the corruption that comes from adding a wee bit of law, a wee bit of religion to your gospel. Because a little leaven leavens the whole batch. Either 
you are saved entirely by what Christ did for you, or you have to save yourself. There's no middle ground. Either righteousness is a gift, or you have to earn it. Either you believe the gospel, or you are religious. There is no third way. If you try and mix a little bit of religion, a little bit of self-righteousness into your gospel, then as Paul said to the Galatians, you have no gospel at all. When your experience of God has been founded on doing right for him, rather than being right with him, then you'll always feel far from God. Because when you believe that righteousness is by the law, you'll always be reaching for a God far from you. But here is the gospel that sets the miserable into joy. You who all your life have been reaching for righteousness, hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. The righteousness you could not reach has reached down to you in the person of Christ who has become for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So now the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart, How are we going to reach up to God? Instead, believe the gospel. God has not left you as orphans. You do not have to live as if God is dead and has gone to heaven because he has poured out his spirit, his presence on the earth, so that you can today be in his presence, live in his presence, and speak from his presence as people who know him, not just know about him. It's possible for us to know God because he's a living person, in whose presence we can now be today. And he's not far from us in heaven or in South America or in some church that's holier than this church. (laughs) You do not have to go up to heaven to bring him down or descend into the deep to bring him back from the dead. Here is the gospel that the religious Jews could not accept, nor believers today whose eyes have dropped from their hope being in Christ's work to their hope being in the church's work. Here it is. The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. And that is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. And we're not ashamed to proclaim this message because it is the power of God unto salvation. For when the eyes of men and women open to see that God has not left them to be holy by themselves, but has joined them, that his presence would make themselves holy. When people see that, it begins to purge the soul from the fear that we sang about this morning. The fear and the condemnation and the guilt and the grief of religion that drives people to attempt to be their own saviors and to live as if they're still waiting for the presence of God. Let me say it again. To only know about God is to know him as if he's dead. And that is the reason why this nation is in such a state. I said before, majority of people in this country, if you ask them, Do they believe in God? They will say yes. But if you ask them, do you know him? They will hesitate. And the reason they hesitate is because they reserve the term no for a living person. But their own experience of God, religion, has never been based on being with him. It's been based on working for him. The experience of God has never been founded on being right with him, but rather on doing right for him. Let me put it another way. The foundation they received growing up in their church, whether it be Catholic or Protestant, was Old Covenant. 
They live as a people trying to do right for God. And when you live like that, the focus of your life is not Christ. It's you. Did you get that? Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. Jesus' disciples and everyone up to that time, including that rich young man, they only thought of knowing God in terms of doing right and doing wrong. The rich young ruler was a great example of that. Here's a man who, by his own confession, had kept the law all his life. Today we could describe him perhaps as a good church goer. He's falling at Jesus' feet and he's crying out, What must I do to inherit eternal life? You see, he doesn't know any other way to relate to God except by doing. That's the way he's been brought up. A Christian is somebody who does that. A non-Christian is somebody who doesn't do that. Yet his very cry was an admission that continually doing the right things was not enough because despite all the right things he was doing, he was starving hungry. Starving hungry to know God. Knowing about God does not satisfy the soul the way knowing God does. Do you know the greatest need in this country today is not for more people to be do-gooders or churchgoers? This nation, Catholic and Protestant, has been going to church for hundreds of years. They have been to church and they've tried to do good and avoid evil, but they're still starving for the presence of God. The greatest need is not for a people to be in a church building, but to be in the presence of God. And that is why God did not take his people, his body, out of the earth, but left his body because his body, his people, now is the presence of God on the earth. See, for years we have pinned all our evangelism strategies on getting people to a building called church in the hope that they will encounter the presence of God. How successful has that been? Well, let's not even go there. Because you and I, we have been to church for years and our heart has broken that our families are not here. It seems to be that the lost have given up on going to church years ago. You see, the problem really is that God's strategy is quite different. His idea is that we, the church, would be so filled with the presence of God that people wouldn't have to get to a building, but they would encounter the presence of God when they encountered people who were living in and speaking from the presence of God. People filled with the presence of God. Which is why God's Word says, Be thee continually filled with the Spirit of God. The Gospel declares that apart from the presence of God, no man or woman can change. Do you believe that? Or do you think that you changed yourself? Do you think repentance was your idea? You did that by yourself, did you? And God had nothing to do with it. No man or woman can change apart from the presence of God. And knowing this, God freely gives his presence so that all who are awake to their need of his presence can live in his presence. But how do they awake? Oh, that's the great thing. They awake by his presence. In the presence of God's Holy Spirit, men and women awake to their need of God. And that is God's remedy for a nation that is living as if God is dead and can only be known about but not known. His remedy is the presence of God. And that's where you and I come in, okay? And we'll talk about this next week. God is going to awake this nation to the presence of God in his church. In his church. But that will only happen when the church 
first awakes to the presence of God in their midst. And that is happening right now through the preaching of the mystery of the gospel hidden from generations, but not from the saints, and which God desires to be made known among the Irish, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Anybody recognize that scripture, Colossians 1 and verse 27, except for the bit about the Irish. I put that in myself. Okay. So the Bible says Gentiles. We preach the fullness of the gospel, the union of Christ with his church, that the church would wake up to the presence of God, the righteousness of God, and sin not. That is, no longer think and so live as if separate from God, because that's the root of sin. Question, what awakened the rich young ruler to his need for eternal life? Answer, the presence of eternal life walking down his streets in the person of Jesus Christ. Many religious folk were profoundly challenged by the freedom and the authority in Jesus' life. They had no idea how bound they were by fear, nor how hungry they were for God, until they saw and heard the freedom and the authority in Jesus' life. I think so often of those temple policemen sent to arrest Jesus. Temple policemen were men who would have known all about authority. They could only work with authority. That's all they had was authority. And yet when they turned up and heard Jesus, they realized they were standing in the midst of a greater authority. And do you remember what they said when they went back to their bosses? They said, no one has ever spoken like this man. And do you know what they were actually saying? They were saying this, all our lives we have only heard from people who knew about God. We have never heard from anyone who actually knew God until today. And that's what's going to happen in this nation. That's what's going to happen. When you and I talk to people, people will know. Your family already know that you know God. And that frightens some of them. That's beautiful. I always say sometimes at family gatherings, and we're at family gatherings sometimes, well, you can't mention the name of Jesus, you know. If you ever get the opportunity, say grace. Thomas read a, a breaking of bread about Jesus saying grace. And then the eyes of the disciples opened. Because when he spoke to the Father, he spoke as nobody else spoke to the Father. He spoke as one who knew him. And that's the way we speak. This is what's going to happen in this country as people meet believers who know they're living in Christ and know they're filled with his presence because they have learned to stop doing long enough to be. Be church. Be being filled with the presence of God. That you may be the presence of God in this nation and in this generation because how do people today awake to the need of God's presence in the same way they've been waking up for 2,000 years? They encounter God's presence in his people. And especially in people who've learned to live in his presence and speak from his presence. People who don't just know about God, but know God. Because they live every day in his presence. Every day in his righteousness. And that's why we continually preach of our union with Christ. That we may be being filled with the knowledge of his presence. Because without a revelation of our union with Christ, that we now have the presence of God with us, we're always Preach the gospel as doing rather than being. Doing to get, not being to give. We will be forever giving people good advice, what they should do next for God. And this nation is so sick to death of good advice 
because every dog in the street knows there's no power to change in good advice. Good advice only wraps people up more in themselves and their doing. Good news sets them free by wrapping them up in Christ. And the reason the Holy Spirit has been soaking us in a message about God's generosity was never to fill us with pride, but to so humble us that we are filled with a love for unbelievers, knowing this, that all they need is the gift that we have received, the grace of God in Christ, which came to us through the gospel and now lives in us as the presence of God, his very spirit. So let us offer them his presence by declaring to them the same gospel by which his presence came to us. The gospel that sets a nation free from the yoke of religion. The religion that has caused so much grief, so much sadness, so much division. Caused people to live as if God was dead. And this gospel is this, and I'll close with this. Ireland. The righteousness you could not reach has reached down to you in the person of Christ, who has become for you wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Praise God. Praise God.